views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. To tonight's broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio on this January the 30th, 2019, on this Wednesday night. Remember, you can listen to live broadcasts of New Abolitionist Radio every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern here on Black Talk Radio Network. New Abolitionist Radio is where we take a look at the news concerning what we call prison slavery, which was made legal after the so-called abolition of slavery in 1865 in the United States by way of the 13th Amendment. We will go over some news from around the country. Uh, We will share a profile in freedom from prison slavery as well as a profile for past abolitionists. The panel will discuss tonight news concerning uh, activists in Louisiana seeking to abolish the death penalty, uh, Kamala Harris's stick, which is getting a whole lot of um, uh, traction in social media, uh, Kamala Harris, I mean the senator who just announced for president, we discussed her a little bit last week. Then we have the Baltimore State's Attorney, Marilyn Mosby, who has made a decision to stop prosecuting cannabis cases. And the Baltimore Police Department, as to be expected, given their corrupt history, they have a defiant response uh, for Miss Mosby. New Abolitionist Radio is an award-winning weekly radio broadcast and podcast that started in 2012 to bring awareness to legalized slavery and human trafficking in the United States. This issue is often inadequately referred to as mass incarceration. Legalized slavery through prisons, jails, and detention facilities and the mistreatment of those incarcerated in them constitute severe human rights violations on a mass scale. Of course, this program is a collaborative effort between the nonprofit organization, Prison Streets Talk Ministries, and the Black Talk Media Project. It's hosted by Tyson McCullum, Mother Khadijah, Maxwell Melvins, and of course, my name is Scotty Reed. If you would like to call in and join in tonight's broadcast uh we're pretty much going to do open lines we invite anyone to call in and comment on these stories or share other information related to 21st century slavery and human trafficking you can do that by calling us at 704 802 
5056. That's 704-802-5056. Hit the star key twice. That will unmute you. I'll see you on the board and bring you into the conversation. Uh, with that said, let me get our other panelists on the call and give them an opportunity to give you an opening statement. Um, we're going to go to Tyson and Khadijah first. Good evening uh, to you all. Uh, hope that hope that you're doing okay. And can you go ahead and tell us what's on your mind? Well, Scotty, man, it's been you know it's been a it's been a rough week, but everything's been good, man. It's just it's just a blessing to be here to be able to discuss these topics and you know provide provide the the people with information, man. So, you know, all is good, man. God is good. So I'm just, I'm just happy to be alive and be able to be on the show today. I know that's Thank right. You. Thank you, Scott. It's Mother Khadija. Thanks for having us on the platform of Black Talk Radio, the new abolitionist radio, um, Prison Street Talk Ministries. We really have a lot of concerns and like a lot of the articles that you were mentioning, like the death mm. penalty of Louisiana. Mm. We have some good articles and we're hoping to get a lot of callers to call in and talk about these issues and not just talk about them, but just find solutions to find ways to get a lot of these laws abolished. So we're looking forward to being on the show. All right. Thank exactly. you. Uh, Maxwell, are you back with yes, us? Yes, sir, my brother. All right. You have like an opening to, statement for us? Uh, no, i just like to say uh, my experience in being in there, I had an opportunity. I used to feed the brothers on death row. Okay. And I just wanted to share with, it's, it's very difficult to, to share through their voice, but I can be a voice of seeing uh, what they go through and how they're humiliated, knowing what they're facing and that they're facing death at the time. But one of the great things about mine is, is that it was abolished in the state of New Jersey. It was the great thing, and all them brothers brought off the death ropes and put into the population, and not only that, guess what happened to a lot of them brothers? They were able to eventually make parole. Wow! So I just wanted to share that. I wanted to share that great aspect of it. Of, uh, those brothers being there where they were at that point in their life, not only to get off death row, but actually became eligible for parole. Few of my know that are right out here in the community, working and giving back, and uh, you know trying to share their story so that a lot of our young brothers and sisters don't end up in the situation that they are, that they were once in. Right. Now, before we jump before we jump into this story about the death penalty uh, repeal yeah. gaining momentum in Louisiana, but they still need a lot of support. Um, I do yeah. want to say to anyone listening, I, I, Mother Khadijah had mentioned to me that she invited some comrades to call in yeah. tonight and just to let them know yeah. if they're on the board, please hit the star key twice to unmute yourself, but always be cognizant of our background noise so we can preserve the quality of the uh, broadcast and podcast. So let me jump right in and then we'll go around the table and get comments from our panel and any callers who want to chime in. So this comes to you from the lens nola.org that's the lens nola.org it says it's an opinion that was written by the reverend william barnwell who's a contributing mm -hmm. writer louisiana has a broken death penalty system it's arbitrary vengeful 
inordinately expensive in a state with dire fiscal needs. It embodies a sordid history of racism and is shamed by one of the highest rates of reversal and exonerations in the country. I am excited that a local organization, L.A. Repeal, a project of the Promise of Justice Initiative, is bringing together a strong coalition of churches, other faith communities, civil rights advocates to repeal capital punishment in Louisiana. They hope to end the legal relic of taking a life in order typically to avenge the crime of taking a life. L.A. Repeal puts it this way. Repealing Louisiana's death penalty will prevent a flawed system from making irreversible mistakes and will free up immense resources that can be redirected to violent crime prevention strategies. As a longtime opponent of the death penalty, I believe L.A. repeal represents the best prospect for abolishing the death penalty that I have seen. I hope leaders of the lens will swing into full support for this reform even before the bill comes up in the state legislature as promised later this year. And And I'll leave it there. I'd just like to add and just in my personal opinion, I don't believe at all by far that the death penalty and nowhere in this country or world serve as a deterrent, in my opinion. And from my personal observation, it does not serve as a deterrent of crime prevention or anything of that nature. Well, Maxwell, let me ask you a question real quick. Okay, now the death penalty probably been around over 100 years or more, right? Um, Yes. Has murders decreased? Have murders stopped? Or or anything, you know, because I don't think it's a matter of opinion. I think it's a matter of fact that well, yes. laws do not deter crime. No, they don't. And especially the death penalty. I'm, I'm going to give this, though. In my opinion, I want to say again, because my opinion, I think that if a person, therefore, was committing a crime, for example, just and say, for example, someone took a group of hostages up, right? And he shot one of them already or something, right? And this person is just in a state of rage or something. I think it would actually be a cause for that person to take the attitude. I'm going all the way out. And I'm going to take hey, the whole way. I like, I like to add something. Um, first of all, with with the statistics, most people who commit crimes like that or are, are facing facing a mentally illness and this is this is what I'm reading is they, they they have a mental illness of battling depression which 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 is another form of um, PTSD post traumatic stress disorder because these people are going through things and they feel like they have nothing to lose anymore. So they commit these crimes. But but the death penalty was just designed as a part of slavery for a free avenue to kill our people. You understand yes. what I'm saying? If if, yes. you, if you look at it, you know, once they abolished, you know, quote unquote, you know, slavery, and created a new slavery, it was just it, that, that was something to be implemented to be able to just kill us, pretty much. Yes. You feel what I'm saying? Yes. So it wasn't it wasn't created to to prevent crime. It was yes. created to destroy our population. That's my opinion. Yes. That's how I feel. That's how I look at it because when when you created these things, when 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 these people created these things, they looked at all these things 
And yes. I just and I just wanted to add, just to throw this out there for callers that's listening in. Um, I was reading one of the articles by uh, a brother who's a minister, brother uh, William Barnwell. He was talking about the death penalty repeal gaining momentum, but we need support. We need everyone to to email and write and call a state representative, so that way, you know, they they can start being alert. Like, hey, this is this is what's going on. But imagine what he was saying if we took that money instead of putting it into the death penalty imagine putting into more effective and rehabilitative um programs for prisoners since they have most do have mental issues but they also talked about the amount of money that is spent just one recent louisiana case according to this article involving five co-defendants cost 15 million dollars that's one case and yielded only two death sentences, both of which are under the appeal, you know, L.A. repeal. Yes, yes. But not so only that, that my sister. that means taxpayers $155 million. So imagine that, yes. taking all yes. that money instead of going for the death penalty. We need yes. to support these activists that show this is inhumane to do this. Like, who yes. does this? Right, no, no doubt. That, but look, look, look at the many people that in this day and time, with all the new technology they got and DNA and all that stuff are exonerated and they come to find out they weren't even actually the person that had committed the crime. So that harm once done is irreversible. They can't come back and bring this person to light when some someone comes forward or something and say, that wasn't actually the person that did it. It happens every day. People are exonerated that weren't even guilty of these crimes that some of them been charged for and sentenced to death for. Facts. That's a fact. Just look at the situation with Boosie. Salute to Boosie, man, for keeping his head up, man. He was on. They was giving, trying to get that man death row, man, for some crimes that they tried to put on that man. And like you said, this Louisiana thing is becoming an issue because you put trying to put people on death row. You you putting people on death row, and then you wind up exonerating them. It's becoming an issue. It's, it's a major. It's a major problem. You know. And, and like Maxwell was saying, that when when you start charging people and putting them in position not to be able to ever fight for their life, you're taking away their opportunities to be able to fight and, and have a chance at, at, at fighting for their rights. You take all that away because you break a man down, you know, and the system is designed to break us down. This is what they constantly try to do. It's, the system is not implemented to rehabilitate us, it's to break us down. Is to break you down mentally. There's nothing positive about men in prison. You know, we can, only a man who is strong could create positive things in that environment. But prison itself does not create positive things for you. You know, it's, it's, it's designed to do a job. And their job is sold by the book and programmed that, you know, they, they doing what they got to do to get their paycheck. So it's not actually helping you it's just that you have to be strong as a man to be able to make it through that storm you have to make it through that storm because they're not going to help you their job is to tear you down and this is what they try to do so this death penalty that is a is a a form of brainwashing to make a man want to give up because you're taking everything from him you're not giving him an opportunity to regain his life you know there can I just say one thing yeah. because um, it goes with what he was just saying, um, listeners. I don't know if people know who the L.A. repeal is, but 
um, it's a local organization who has a promise, a project called Promise of Justice Initiative. And like you were mentioned before, they've come together with strong coalition of churches, faith communities, civil rights activists um, to repeal the capital punishment, Louisiana. That's what you were saying. Their goal is to end the legal relic of taking a life in order to avenge the crime of taking a life. This is the whole purpose of why we should write a representative to say this is inhumane. It does not make sense to take a life that, that took a life. Like, what good is that going to do? So I know you don't want to spend a lot of time on this article, but L.A. Repeal, you know, it's, it's a lot of important people that make part of this. Like Sister Helen Prejean, she actually is on the um, L.A. Repeal Leadership Council, and she wrote a book. She's an author, Dead Man Walking, which was turned into a movie. Mm-hmm. you got Bill Quigley, who's one of the strongest civil rights lawyers in the nation. you got Episcopal Bishop John Doss, who was a long um, activist against the death penalty. And you also got Calvin activist, I mean, excuse me, Calvin Duncan, who spent 30 years in prison in Angola for a crime he didn't even commit. So it's imagine, imagine you've got these strong people, activists, because they know it's not the right thing to do on board. So people need to write their representatives, you know, repeal the death penalty. Please do this because L.A. repeal, they're, they're making momentum, they're making noise, but we need everyone's support. Yes, especially if you live in Louisiana, because as the article states, this is a, a bill that will be, was they promised to bring this bill to the floor with the state legislature uh, later uh, this year. So if you live in Louisiana, sure, I live in North Carolina, I can call and I can register, you know, my opinion about, you know, the death penalty and what have you. But those who live in Louisiana, those are supposed to be your elected representatives and, and your voice carries more weight inside the state than my, my voice would, would carry outside the state. Now, you know, um, you could, there are so many different reasons why the death penalty is wrong. And yes, you know, people do commit commit crimes because of circumstances, because of mental illness. When you, you know, look at environmental poisoning, uh, stuff like lead poisoning, which causes violent tendencies. You know, there's just, it's just, but listen, there are people who commit murder for, and they don't have an excuse. My uncle was murdered. Um, by a high school classmate. Well, they were out of school by the end, um, but this guy had always coveted my uncle's wife. And they got into a fist fight uh, down at this, you know, this uh, apartment complex here in Mount Holly where I live. And my uncle beat the guy in a straight up fist fight. So the guy leaves, comes back with a gun, and the guy that my uncle was riding with, they was having, you know, having car trouble. My uncle trying to help with the car to get the car started so they could leave. And the guy shoots him in the back and murders him. And and so there's no excuse, you know, for for some of these people uh, uh, doing this type of stuff. But at the same time, though, you know, that, that's just hypocrisy. You know, if you say it's wrong for us to murder, I say it's wrong for the state to murder. Now, some people Brother may Lee, not guess, make... Guess, guess what the statistics is and um, how many people they have on death row in Louisiana. They have 71 people on death row right now, currently, 
in Louisiana. They have 144 here in North Carolina. They have, in California, 740 people on death row. Florida is 353. Texas is 232. Alabama, 185. You know, this and Arizona got 121. So, and that's just, the list just go on. And Tyson, it's crazy. And then, you know, as the uh, reverend who wrote this article pointed out, you know, it's rooted in racism. Because as I'm looking here, it says in, in, um, the 67 men on death row at Angola, 73% of them are African-American or Hispanic, okay? Right. And I, I will bet you that that statistic is repeated across all these states. Now, I had uh, came across an old article, and I didn't know this, but Cali- the Supreme Court had actually ruled that California's death, death, uh, death row was unconstitutional and it constituted cruel and unusual punishment. Now, this this comes from this article from the Reverend. He said, those on death row at Angola, which is a former slave plantation and still is in this this, uh, neo-slavery that we're facing, but it says they are doomed to lifelong solitary confinement. They are let out of their small cells only to enter a larger cage for one or two hours a day. As a result of this treatment, many of the men go crazy, become impossibly hostile, or curl up in a corner, defeated, bored, beyond reach of rehabilitation. Imagine how many more stories of redemption there might be if instead we treated those on death row humanely. And I think that speaks to something that every one of the panelists have brought up. About like you said, um, brother Reed, the slavery. I just was on, um, you know, I do a lot of research because I, I look at YouTube and I see what what's going on. I was actually on YouTube the other day, and my wife pointed out something. It, it's an artist, Nipsey Hussle, and he was talking about how you can catch a charge that only carried three years and wind up getting thirty three years because attack two because you have the tattoo on your hood, on on your body, they actually are charging, you know, brothers of color who are in the game just because they have their neighborhood tattoo on them. They're charging them plus the crime, plus 30 years, and, 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 and charging them because they have a tattoo and saying that it's part of organized crime and making it seem like they caught the charge because of the game. So now, when when if you catch a charge in California and and you have a a a, a gang tattoo on you, they're giving you thirty years with that. Ain't that crazy? They always finding a way to, to destroy the black community, no matter what. See, you know when when we talk about the, the gangs, they created that because people had to defend themselves because of the racism. So now that, you know, it has died down, not, you know, no, now that it has died down, you're, you're charging African-Americans because they have a tattoo of their neighborhood. It's crazy. That's extrajudicial punishment. That's, that, that wasn't yeah. part of their charges when they went through court is what you're saying. Right. Right. And, right. And it's just a way. But look, I like to add something, my brother. It was, it's not only that. When I was out at that symposium out there in Rockland, Illinois, 
there was a brother that had a, a five-year bid. He ended up with an 80-year sentence because of his mental illnesses. And he it was a brother, you know, hopefully I'm going to try to get him on this show one day because he spoke there, how he required certain attentions and he would do certain things because of the isolation and loneliness and he wanted the attention of medical staff. But when the officers would come in, and they try to restrain him, and they will make claims and trying to hurt him, and he's resisting. He went to court each time, and he had ended up with 80 years added on to his sentence, and this organization came to his aid to help him, and they got it reversed, and he's out to talk about it now. Mm-hmm. He was going right. as far as sticking uh, 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 screws in his ear to cause bleeding and things just to get the attention of staff. That's how lonely he was in isolation and solitary confinement and just wanted to hear human voices in different things. And right. and look what it did. They didn't try to address with his mental illnesses or anything or knowing that this man was in that state. They just treated him just like, they just like dogged him out, beat him and everything. And I'm glad right. that he lived to talk about it, but it ain't just a death penalty in that way. It's death by many ways besides the actual legalization of the death penalty yes, when you enter in there, whether it's by them or hidden agenda, or by the hanging or something, i watched many brothers brutally beaten, dreadlocks ripped out, dragged down the walkway, thrown through windows, jumped uh, officers on tables, jumping down on their body, beating them down, knocking their eyes out, knocking their teeth out, being flown out by helicopters. Now, I'm telling you stuff I've witnessed. I'm not talking about something I read out of no books. I'm telling you something that I yes, personally experienced and saw with my own eyes. And I couldn't believe it, bro. I just couldn't. It was just so hard for me to believe that people could be that cruel and inhumane towards another human being, no matter what the so That man did no crime of that magnitude to deserve that. We are sent to prison as a punishment, but not for them to punish. They're not the, the law defines right. our punishment and how we should be treated. Not that they should take it in their own hands and try to punish us. I think there's just right. a lot of um, and, and, and you definitely you definitely right, Maxwell, because I I went through a situation when I was 17. I had caught a juvenile juvenile on charge, and I I was in you know in the juvenile system, and an officer they handcuffed me and he choked me while I was handcuffed behind my back. He bust the blood vessels in my eyes. You know I, I had to go to the hospital. And when 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 the, the the report came back that it was caused by strangulation, when we got back to the facility, they threw the letter away because wow. they didn't want you know my mama to find out or call social services. So they threw they threw the letter away and then tried to cover it up. So you know it's it's a lot of things that go on in the system and, and they cover it up. So I understand exactly where you're coming from because I've seen yeah, a whole exactly. bunch of you know a whole yeah. bunch of stuff in it and witnessed it as yeah. well. You know what I'm saying? So and a lot you know, of other staff members are scared to report it. And I'm gonna tell you something else. Right. You know why they're scared to report it? Because they will be retaliation against them. They will come outside. Their car tires are blown out, shot out, window shot out, beat down, and everything. And a lot of them are afraid to come forward, but they shouldn't even be there. And so you have nurses, when they come down and say a guy's head was beat, it was only by this means or that way it could have happened, they force them nurses and different people to change their report. Right. 
And if right. the nursing them go against the system, they out of there. They just had a situation in Southwoods and in um, um, Bayside where, you know, they fired a whole bunch of officers and, and prosecuted them because of the brutality that was going on. And they fired officers because they wasn't reporting and, and they was in, in the vicinity to be able to witness the, the, the things that they was doing. Like, yeah. you know, you know, Maxwell, that Southwoods is, 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 is terrible when it comes to to black men, you know. What yes, I'm my brother. I, I served thirty three years in this system. I absolutely know firsthand experience of what it yes, is. Sir. You know there, there is a um a video that uh, circulated this week on Twitter, which showed four black inmates who were handcuffed to this table, and then a white inmate with some kind of shield, some kind of knife. Who was allowed to just stab the uh, stab these inmates? I mean, wow. I was like, wow. I mean, I wasn't shocked. I wasn't shocked or yeah. or saying I couldn't believe this because I've been doing this program and hearing stories like y'all sharing with me for a very long time. I got friends and family members that's been, you know, in that situation. But as we move on to the next story, you know, yeah. I think the yeah. biggest reason to abolish the death penalty. And again, people who live in Louisiana, and if you're outside the state and you want to lend a hand, please support LA repeal. Because the number one reason that people should be uh, for abolishing the death penalty is, which is, has been spoken on, is all the exonerations with DNA evidence showing you know, that people yeah, yeah. were not guilty of the murders that they were convicted of and sentenced to death row. And it's irreversible. You can't bring somebody yeah. back to life. And I dare yeah. to say it's probably been thousands of innocent people uh, during the course of this history of yeah, that has been put to death. Now, I want and to move on to... The good to part is the bringing awareness to all this, bro. That's the good part, what we're doing about bringing awareness so people have a full understanding of what's going on they also have to be reminded that of the other people that still returning to our society and coming out and everything, we all have to open, welcome them with open arms, my brother. Right. You know, well, we'll bro- never have change. Brother Maxwell, last week it was just me and you, and we had an yes, opportunity sir. to briefly discuss Kamala Harris, the senator from oh, yeah, California, yeah, the former yeah, prosecutor in yeah. D.A., well, again, yes. she announced her, her presidency, and a video has surfaced of her at some kind of banquet, some kind of symposium, where she yes. was bragging about how she used a stick on the parents, yes. um, even sending game prosecutors to the school to, wow. to threaten parents over their children's truancy and somebody pointed out to me and and pointed out to me well this ain't nothing new this is the case in many states they'll lock up a parent if their child miss miss too many you know uh uh, days in school i mean it's the law here in north carolina which i was unaware of it but here's the thing though you know, people are saying, well, she was just doing her job. Well, she did more than just her job. She is the one who got that law implemented in California yeah, yeah, before yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger, the former governor of California, left office. It's one of the last bills he, sa- he signed into law. I just yeah, think that yeah. there is a more humane way 
of dealing with with uh, child truancy because every case is different, and there's yes. a better way than threatening people with jail. So let's listen to her comment. I got a two yeah. minute clip, and the person who posted this clip to Twitter, which got thousands of retweets and picked up by the mainstream yeah. media, has been banned, has been suspended for Twitter. And some people are saying that Kamala, uh, uh, Kamala Harris supporters uh, reported yeah. him for some reason. And, and, and so yeah. now he's being. But listen, this is what she had to say to this group of supporters back in 20. This is from 2010, January of 2010, yeah. when she was bragging about using yeah. a stick on these families. I would yeah. not be standing here were it not for the education I received. And I know many of, many of us will say the same thing. And I believe a child going without an education is tantamount to a crime. So I decided I was going to start prosecuting parents for truancy. Well, this was a little controversial in San Francisco. <laughs> And frankly, my staff went bananas. They were very concerned because we didn't know at the time whether I was going to have an opponent in my re-election race. But I said, look, I'm done. This is a serious issue, and I've got a little political capital, and I'm going to spend some of it. And this is what we did. We recognized that in that initiative, as a prosecutor in law enforcement, I have a huge stick. The school district has got a carrot. Let's work in tandem around our collective objective and goal, which is to get those kids in school. So, to that end, on my letterhead, now let me tell you something about my letterhead. When you're the DA of a major city in this country, usually the job comes with a badge. And there is often an artistic rendering of said badge on your stationery. So, I sent a letter out on my letterhead to every parent in the school district, outlining the connection that was statistically proven between elementary school truancy, high school dropouts, who will become a victim of crime, and who will become a perpetrator of crime. We sent it out to everyone. A friend of mine actually called me and he said, Kamala, my wife got the letter. She freaked out. She brought all the kids into the living room, held up the letter, said, if you don't go to school, Kamala's gonna put you and me in jail. Yes, we achieved intended effect. So that was Kamala Harris laughing and joking about, uh, you know, threatening these parents with a loss of freedom to deal with school truancy. Now, before we go to the panel, let me say this real quick. Look, there, there are some cases where other stuff is going on in the home. And it, it's, yeah. you know, there may be physical, sexual, emotional yeah. abuse in yeah. that, that, that those absences yeah. are a symptom of that. Yeah. In those cases, I feel like that is where we have to get the church involved, the community involved, yeah. the family involved. But the last yeah. thing that we should be doing is throwing people in, in, in jail simply over truancy there's a more humane way to deal with that how about setting up you know some kind of mentorship why, why not evaluate yeah. each family yeah. differently and see case what the resources are right 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 but this sounds like the school to prison the pipeline now some people will say well only six people 
um, got actually got prosecuted. Um, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah, one of them matter. was a homeless woman who had yeah. who had two children. Okay, so she was homeless. So she had those issues going on. And I'll I'll just share a a real quick personal story. In my sophomore year of of high school, I was very bored. Okay, I skipped, and I had some other stuff going on with with. I had some daddy issues as well that was bothering me. So I was kind of like in a rebellious stage. I missed I missed Mm -hmm. over forty days of my sophomore mm-hmm. year, but I showed up to take quizzes and tests because my, you know, my yeah. friends would tell me when, you know, when they had a quiz uh, and a test coming up. I, yeah. I, you know, I just got one of those memories where I can read stuff and retain it. So I was able to pass grade wise. Okay. And, and I never failed. I still had A's and B's. My mother was a single mother working first year. She had no idea that her 16-year-old son was skipping school like that. And it was not her fault for what I was and that's doing. My whole, and that's my whole And she point did right not there. deserve that's to be put in fault. jail. That's, that's my whole point. Right. So I'm going to turn it over to the panel. What, what do y'all say about this? Well, I'm going to say this. My whole point is right there. When a parent sends their child out to school and expect them to attend school, she don't have no power of knowing because that parent also has to attend work and do what they need to do in order to be able to provide for that same child. If they're missing work or whatever, what's going to happen to that parent? If she's trying to monitor his kid going to school every day and she's not paying attention to her own job or whatever, the child and the mother will not even have a home to come home to because she can't pay the bills because she's trying to track her child down every day. Now I'm going to give you an example. And here in Camden County at one time, they had a, a certain patrol unit that went around, and uh, they used to call the parents it up and everything. But that patrol unit would take the child, pick them up, take them to the school, and address it in that way. They weren't trying to do anything of its kind, such as what she did. As you were saying, ministry, mentoring, and different things, that is how they became involved in the city of Camden, New Jersey at one time. And I would say the 70s, 75, 76 era around that time, they had a serious truancy uh, problem. And that's how they addressed it here. It would bring that kid up. They would hold that kid responsible. And that kid, sometimes when they was playing all this truancy and got involved in other things, they uh, considered them incorrigible. They would send them down to juvenile detention and stuff. It wasn't the type of juvenile detention as you would think in this day and time. It was different. It was schooling and it was those types of thing and horseback riding uh, and training and all that, you know, because some of the judges in fact court understood what it is to be a parent and would not hold a parent responsible like that, but would in fact deal with the child as much as they could. That's and what I, I recall. Wanted, I just wanted to talk about um, the fact that she charged a homeless woman who actually, the article says she had two jobs. It wasn't like she was just homeless. She was doing the best she can. All she needed, like this article was saying, she just needed a little guidance and a little help. And what I find interesting is that they helped her after they charged her. Why not case by case find out what if it's a domestic violence case and it's not been reported? Then, of course, they're going to miss some dates because they probably live in post to post because most times mm-hmm. the shelter's full. So how are you going to charge someone when it's kind of contradictory because as a you know when as yes. a, an attorney 
your goal was to protect the people, to make yeah. sure, in her own words, she says, her duty was to seek and make sure that the most vulnerable and voiceless amongst us are protected. Well, that's not what she did if she charged this homeless woman that was working with her kids. And but, not just that, she said she had the capital and she was going to use it. That's a number one factor. She had the capital and she was going to use the capital, meaning she had the funding to be able to do that. And when funding goes into different different areas and different ways, it's misappropriated just to make it look good. They get additional funding for areas of different things. With the money is then thereby diverted into other funds and police activities and different things. Now, I forgot to mention, though, that they first would levy a $2,000 fine. Now, we're talking about poor people here. And then if they couldn't pay the $2,000, then they got to go to jail. Now, what is, how is me paying $2,000 going to help my child? That's taken from my child, you know? And, and, yeah. and again, this is, I could see if we're talking cases where a child is is being kept out of school because of the adult is trying to pimp them. Because we do have cases like that. Or, or got them out there running some kind of scam, you know, just contributing to the delinquency of that child. That's totally different than a struggling single mother working two jobs, okay, possibly facing domestic violence. I, I don't know why why she didn't have a permanent residence, but that, that's totally different. And then just the callousness of them to laugh and, and like it's funny. It's not funny to me. Mm-hmm. Now, her own staff... Listen, her own staff pushed back against this and because and they were concerned about it becoming a campaign issue. Okay. And you said that laugh that laugh bothered you, that laugh she did? Yes, it bothers me. Now, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna say this In the that audience. same laugh that that same laugh that she just did, that was the laugh that Hillary Clinton did with Obama and them when they shot down Brother Gaddafi. That same devilish, devious laugh. That same laugh. I can understand you. That's why I I, I, I mentioned that Hillary Clinton had that same laugh. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I recall. Brother Gaddafi. Uh, I, I look at that as a as a political bullying because when she talk about she got the stick and she got the political access to be able to, to pull it off. It's, 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 that's that's a form of bullying, but at the same time, it's directed to 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 call to create more capital for imprisonment. You know, because you 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 want to imprison people. This this is what she's doing. This is this is basically what she's saying. You are not looking at the issues of why a child is missing school. You know, you're you're looking at putting a parent away because it's another form of creating revenue. It's another form. See basically, you know, sometimes these 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 government figures they throw out things thinking they 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 gonna get a bite and look good for other government officials, you know? Things like that. So when when I listen to things that these people say, she she ain't nothing but but what you call, you know, excuse my language, she's a house nigga. Because some of these things that you're saying, you're saying, and, and you're going against your own people because you're basically targeting the African Americans. Because with truancy, most 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 of them happen in African American families, and that's a fact. Because when, when you have a mama, and I went through the situation. Sometimes I had to stay home 
from school growing up as a child because, you know, my mama had babies that didn't, wasn't in school yet. So if she had to work to be able to provide food to take care of her kids, you know, me being the oldest, I had to miss school. So, like like Brother Reed said, when you don't look into these issues and see what's actually going on, and you know, it it, it cause uh, it cause a problem because you could be putting somebody in prison that's actually innocent, trying to take care of their child, not trying to hurt their child, but actually trying to take care of their child. Because there's a lot of situations like that in the black community where you have the mama who's there taking care of the kids and doing everything, you know? So these these are situations that need to be looked into before she can open her mouth. Well, it kind of opened up my eyes that this is happening in a number of states. And to me, it's not something for the criminal justice system. It, it, it's something for, for the social service system. This is something for those organizations that provide services to families and what have you. This, this is where you need counseling. You don't need no gang prosecutor sitting up there with you in the principal's office. You know, as she states in, a, in another video from the same thing, saying she told them to look mean and what have you threatening these people and and i'm just gonna be i'm gonna be uh, uh just straight up with y'all to me this was signaling to certain people in that area that i keep these niggas in line any other Hello? comments on this Nah, you know, you you summed it up, man. It's just, you know, it's pretty pretty terrible, man, how 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 people can always figure out or try to cause chaos. You know, a lot of this stuff, man, people they they really don't understand what prison do. It breaks up families. How is you trying to you know, help a family? You're not helping the family stay together. You're trying to continue break up a family. Because if you take yeah. your parents away from the children, then where, where, where that leave the children and, 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 and social service? Now, yeah. you can't, um, sorry, what was I about to say? Um, now, now I'm saying people can change their minds on the issue, but she doubling down on this. This is, she's proud of this. She, even now when confronted about it, you know, she's sticking to her guns, so to speak. Well, how does that jive with your so-called now progressive profile where you're talking about we need to do bail reduction because we got too many poor people in jail and, you know, it's not fair, uh, right, right, you know. Right, so right, how does right. that jive? How does this policy jive with her so-called uh, now progressive credentials and talking about bail reduction and poor people being in jail? It's a walking contradiction. She's a walking contradiction, yeah. and not only is she a walking contradiction. When when you put a person who's used to and and is well professional job before she got where she was at was to put people away, to put people in prison. So she's bringing that terminology from being a prosecutor to putting people in jail. So her mind is always on how she can put somebody in jail. No, but her main key right now, bro, she's running on the ticket right now. She know one of the main things in this country and concerns right now is prison reform and criminal justice reform right now. And she's using that as her ticket 
right now, a ticket to run on because she knows there's a mass movement behind that because people are tired of the way they've been treating our brothers and sisters in prison and the way the criminal justice system is functioning right now. That is why she's doing that and if she's not being progressive by bail reduction. Right here in my county right now is the first one in the country that eliminated bail. Camden County, mine, to decrease the prison population, receive grant money under the Safe and Just program, which is by the author of the foundation and the Urban Institute right now to decrease the prison population by whatever it means. It doesn't just mean doing this or doing that, whether through art or anything that you can do in the community to decrease the population, whether giving kids something to do or whatever, there's a lot of funding that's available for that right now. And she's running on that ticket of mass incarceration, criminal justice reform, and prison reform right now because she knows the masses of people have a concern from that. That is a major movement in this country right now. And that's what she called herself doing. She wants that presidency. So that's what she's doing right now. That is the bottom line. She, Nothing more. Would you say because she's like pandering? Said, she's being contradictory right now, you know, with this progressive movement. There's nothing progressive about it that she come out get rid of eliminate this bail for the poor and all that. But people were much poorer then, and you were trying to hurt them then for truancy. And people are committing much greater crimes than truancy as she made it. Right now, in this day and time, you trying to run on a progressive? Nah, it doesn't work for me, bro. Hey, you know what? Let, this just came to my mind as I was having conversations on social media with people. And they brought up a good point. And I'm not saying that this should be the case, but they said, well, where are the bills that put the parents of these, these teenage school shooters in prison after they done shot up a school? Mm-hmm. Good question. Good question, brother. Good question right there. Good question. Good question. All right. If there is nothing else, we will move on to this next story. Let me go ahead and give out the telephone yes. number uh, once again in case any of our listeners would like to chime in. Please feel free to do so. Give us a call at 704 802 Five six. Now, this is also, you know, we can also point to Kamala uh Kamala, that's how her you're supposed to pronounce her name, but Kamala uh Harris, you know, pushed back against uh cannabis decriminalization and legalization in California. And she certainly uh-huh. prosecuted a lot of people for cannabis possession, just simple possession. And when the Supreme Court, or when she was Attorney General, and the Supreme Court ordered that California needed to reduce its prison population in, in order to comply with the SCOTUS order that they were uh, creating a situation that was inhumane, you know, she didn't say, hey, Governor or hey, legislatures, yeah. we need to let yeah. these nonviolent drug offenders out because you know it may. Yeah. No, she contracted with the Geo Group, a private prison group. Okay, so now, what? yes, she contracted to put them prisoners in a Geo Group facility. That's how she complied yeah. with the order, not letting a single person go. As we talked about this last week, Brother Maxwell. But now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now we got Marilyn Mosby. Y'all may recognize her name or or her face from trying to prosecute those Baltimore cops for the murder 
of of Freddie Gray. Is, is that mm-hmm. his name, Freddie Freddie Gray? Yeah, Freddie Gray, who had his spine yeah. severed uh, in an arrest by these cops in Baltimore. Now I'm gonna yeah. play this clip from WJZ, a CBS affiliate out of Baltimore. And it has part of the press conference of Marilyn Mosby saying we're no longer going to prosecute any cannabis possession cases. So let me go ahead and cue that up. Uh, Okay, here we go. Major policy decision from the Baltimore City State's Attorney. Marilyn Mosby says her office will no longer prosecute cases of marijuana possession. Ron Matz explains she is calling this a new day in Baltimore. I'm announcing a monumental shift in public policy as it 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 relates to marijuana possession in the city of Baltimore. Marilyn Mosby made the announcement flanked by marijuana law reform advocates. Effective immediately, her office will no longer prosecute cases for marijuana possession, no matter the amount and or criminal history. When I ask myself, is the enforcement and prosecution of marijuana possession making us safer as a city? The answer is emphatically no. Maryland ACLU Executive Director Dana Vickers-Shelley praised Mosby's decision. It's huge. It's very, very important. And making such a difference, particularly in a place where over the decades, this community, predominantly of color, has been treated in a very racially inequitable way. Mosby filed a court motion this morning seeking to vacate nearly 5,000 marijuana possession convictions dating back to 2011. We applaud State's Attorney Mosby for making this decision. It's one that's fair, it's one that's just. State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby also told reporters that her office still recognizes there's a serious drug problem in the city. But she said the change in marijuana policy is a new day in Baltimore. It's my belief that as a city, we can and need to be more effective in reducing violence. And I'm calling on my partners in the city hall and in law enforcement to join me in my office in this effort. Ron Matz reporting for WJZ. So and that- in a statement to WJZ, interim Baltimore Police Commissioner Gary Tuggle says Baltimore police will continue to make arrests for illegal marijuana possession unless and until the state legislature changes the law regarding marijuana possession. All right, so that's the pushback that you're getting from them crooked Baltimore uh, cops and and you know there was a case where there was a federal case against Baltimore police who was robbing people um you know just acting like acting like a gang they are a gang and they were robbing people and stealing stuff and and stealing drugs and money and and all kind of stuff um that's what you're dealing with there with that police department of slave catchers out there in Baltimore, so you know they're they're sending uh, sending a message to her. Well, you cannot prosecute them, but we still gonna arrest them. Now, what good is that gonna do? You know, if there's gonna be that's just a waste of money, a waste of time. Why don't you spend your time focusing on on things like domestic violence and stopping and, and crime prevention instead? And and then you know the fact is Maryland, the state of Maryland, so called decriminalized cannabis. A couple of years ago, but here, here you got all these people. So I, I want to applaud Marilyn Mosby for doing the right thing. Not only is she not going to prosecute any more cases, she's going, she's going to dismiss 
charges on uh, on 5,000 cases that's already pending. And that takes some guts. So I, I think she, she needs to be commended for this bold stance. And I should also point out, this is, as I told other people when they was arguing with me about Kamala Harris, I was saying, look, other prosecutors have prosecutorial discretion in what type of crimes they going to prioritize in, in prosecuting. And this is, you know, across the country, there are some counties in Texas that no longer prosecute these simple marijuana uh, possession charges. So, panel, what, what are your thoughts on this? Okay, I'm not hearing something. Okay, I wonder if I got cut off. No, I'm not cut off. We we appear to be having some uh, technical difficulties. Let me see if I can uh, get dialed back in. Uh, my apologies uh, for those that's listening. I noticed that our stream had gotten cut off for a second. Okay, I'm back. Can y'all hear me? Yo, let me just say this to you for a minute, brother. No disrespect. Do me a favor. That clip right now, let that clip go for a minute. I'm going to tell you what's going on right now. You might think that is technical difficulties in the station. That is not technical difficulties in the station. It's more than that right now. Did you hear me, bro? Yes. and that is, that is beyond technical difficulties in the station right now. <laughs> When you went to play that clip, it is beyond that. I'm not paranoid anything. I'm telling you what that is. It is beyond that right now. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm having issues, um, you know, where I um, actually got disconnected from the stream and then it reconnected. So something definitely uh-huh. uh, is, is odd that is going on. We are being, mon- being monitored right now. Oh, I've yes, been yes. on several interviews, but we've been, we're being monitored. Trust me, a million percent. So y'all were not able to hear the clip? Nothing, nothing for the long, nothing. I'm telling you what that is, my brother. Okay. I, I bet my life on it. Okay. Uh, let me make sure that we're able to hear uh, Mother Khadijah and Brother Tyson. Are y'all there? We're all here. Okay. I'm going, we got a, a, another caller. Caller, I'm going to ask you to, to hold off uh, Mr. Derek for a second. And let me just replay this clip. It's just two minutes, two minutes, right. two minutes long. Okay. All, All right. right. So All right. again, just bear with us. I'm bear with you. Major policy decision from the Baltimore City State's Attorney. Marilyn Mosby says her office will no longer prosecute cases of marijuana possession. Ron Matz explains she is calling this a new day in Baltimore. I'm announcing a monumental shift in public policy as it relates to marijuana possession in the city of Baltimore. Marilyn Mosby made the announcement flagged by marijuana law reform advocates. Effective immediately, her office will no longer prosecute cases for marijuana possession, no matter the amount 
and or criminal history. When I ask myself, is the enforcement and prosecution of marijuana possession making us safer as a city? The no. answer is emphatically no. Maryland ACLU Executive Director Dana Vickers-Shelley praised Mosby's decision. It's huge. It's very, very important. And making such a difference, particularly in a place where over the decades, this community, predominantly of color, has been treated in a very racially inequitable way. Mosby filed a court motion this morning seeking to vacate nearly 5,000 marijuana possession convictions dating back to 2011. We applaud the state's attorney Mosby for making this decision. It's one that's fair, it's one that's just. State's attorney Marilyn Mosby also told reporters that her office still recognizes there's a serious drug problem in the city. But she said the change in marijuana policy is a new day in Baltimore. It's my belief that as a city, we can and need to be more effective in reducing violence. And I'm calling on my partners in the city hall and in law enforcement to join me in my office in this effort. Ron Matz reporting for WJZ. And in a statement yeah. to WJZ, interim Baltimore Police Commissioner Gary Tuggle says Baltimore police will continue to make arrests for illegal marijuana possession unless and until the state legislature changes the law regarding marijuana possession. All right, mm. panelists. Yeah. Uh, my brother, when you have an opportunity, I'd like to make an announcement that the, uh, the governor, Phil Murphy, in the state of New Jersey had just took the initiative to restore all voting rights to all ex-offenders in the state of New Jersey. I thought that is something that we should applaud. He's taking the initiative in the state of New Jersey to restore all voting rights to all people on parole and probation. I needed to say that it is important so that when it's time to go out and this is brought before the uh, legislator to pass these things, that they will be passed. That is major that he is taking the initiative to support this effort. And has, you know, as he's followed along the state of New York and Florida and other states, was a great thing that the governor of New Jersey had just announced three days ago. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Now, again, um, you know, most people, and I, I learned this from uh, Ron Paul years ago, the majority of people who serve time in prison and jail are in there for nonviolent drug crimes. All right. And, you know, cannabis prohibition, you know, we have get so much propaganda to justify locking up people for using a plant that grows naturally. You ain't got to add nothing to it. It cures, you know, uh, many diseases or helps treat many diseases. And there's some politics behind why it was criminalized in the first place, which I'm not going to get into. But what's interesting yeah. to me is here you got the, the prosecutor, the state's attorney, Carolyn Mosby, saying, I'm not going to prosecute these cases. And then you got the interim police chief saying, well, we're going to keep arresting. Them. Yeah. That's crazy. But she didn't only say that. She said that she will try to go back to 2010 and eliminate all the people that have been charged with it. Right, it's right. Beautiful thing. Right. And, and it's 5,000 cases pending that yeah. she will not be prosecuting. And that's a beautiful thing right there. Right. So because I want to go to the caller. I had to mute the caller because um, of the background noise, but we got um, 
Mr. Derek, I believe. Mr. Derek, did you thank you for calling in the New Abolitionist Radio? Did you have something you wanted to share with us tonight? Okay, so if you do, yes, yes, we hear you. Can y'all hear me? Yes, we can hear you. We can hear you. Well, hey, how, how y'all going, man? This is, this is Byron Morant. I don't know why they, they got my phone registered as a dare, but this is Byron Morant with the Power Block Radio Show. You know what I mean? You with the Power Block Radio Show? Yes, sir, man. Yeah, that's good. Brother, man. Like, I'm glad to have you here. Here on behalf of uh, Sister Khadija and Brother Todd, man, I just want to say this. First of all, just, just love what y'all doing, man, and being the voice. You know, of the people, yeah. of, of, of things that need to be heard. You know what I'm saying? Things that people are scared to talk about. You, you get what I'm trying to say? A lot of people talk about the, the, the problems, but don't want to be part of the solution. So hats off to y'all, you know, for being a force and not be scared to be part of the solution and not contributing to the problem, first of all. Thank you. And, and I'd just, I just like to thank you for coming on. This is Brother Maxwell Melvin. I'd just like to thank you for coming on and sharing that with us, brother that you're out there listening to it and, and that you're being part of that solution as well. Thank you. Man, I, I, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm actually in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania right now, and it's funny that I just found out that they're actually trying to pass, you know, the, the law for the, for the marijuana and everything up in Pennsylvania, but it's yeah. kind of the same thing that's going on in Maryland. So I'm talking to my dad, my father, and a couple of people at city council about that, man. Um, but, but I feel I, I definitely love what they're doing for the inmates, definitely love that they're going back 10 years and things of that nature. But this, yeah. this is my thing. Y'all are creating a problem that should have never been existing from the beginning. Exactly, mm-hmm, exactly. want to say, I love you, man. Appreciate you. Man, I thank you. Power Block, Connected, man. We family, man. And I just yeah, wanted to know. let you know I love you, brother, man. And, um, you know, I wish all is well down there with you and in your situations, man. And uh, it's a blessing to have you on, man. You already know. Family, man, love and loyalty. I love you, brother. And, uh, you know, these issues, man, these concerns, man, all over the world, you know. Like marijuana, mar- marijuana business is, is, is one of the, the largest growing business in, in the world right now, man. So mm-hmm. they know by prosecuting it, but you, you contribute in it. You, you have right. all these companies right. who are selling marijuana, so why are you charging people with marijuana? So, mm-hmm. you know, like, like they, they, they come to terms of understanding that, you know, why go against the grain when you can just ride the wave? Because Absolutely. everything is about money. You know, I'm 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 happy that she doing what she doing, but everything is for a reason, man. They Absolutely. disguise it, deceive us like they trying to do right. But you that, that go back to slavery. Everything that, that has been done to us as a people of color has been done because it profit and benefit them. Just like when, you know, when slavery was abolished, it was to create a union. So yes, everything that they do is to b- benefit them to, to the highest power. If, still, if, if still, the, the weed day. business still. wasn't creating, creating the revenue that they're looking for, then they would continue charging us with it. But being yep. though marijuana is creating the revenue, they they say, ah, right, you know what, we can't prosecute this anymore because it's, it's, it's messing up our business. We like all the people who like to purchase marijuana, then we ain't going to have nobody purchasing marijuana. Mm-hmm. So I really mm-hmm. like that. That's coming from my aspect, man. See, I like to think outside the box instead of just seeing the cake. Yeah. I like to go around the cake and see what's behind the cake. Because, you yeah. know, they, they, throw this, they throw this pudding out there to us, you know, for us to just 
fall in the trap like they actually trying to do something positive for us. Yeah, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. But you know what? They're benefiting from this as well. Well, let, let, let me put it like this, though. Marijuana has not been legalized in in um, Maryland. It's been decriminalized. And even in those places like Colorado, like California, uh, anywhere else, uh, I think Alaska, the they still arresting black folks. And I got an article, yes, you know, I, I got an article that's that's going to, you know, highlight that that they still are targeting the black community for these arrests, even when they have decriminalized it or even legalized it. They're still uh, arresting us. So, you know, I, 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 you know, I don't care what their motivation is, Brother Tyson. This, you know, in my opinion, if you're not arresting people for it, that's a good thing. I don't care what your motivation is, but I hear what you're saying, though. Because, Max, I, I don't, you know, you might know something about this, but I had inter- interviewed years ago New Jersey weed man, Ed Fortune. You, you heard of him? You know where, yeah, you know where he's at right now, based off the, uh, you know where I know him very well in person. You know where he's at right now? In jail. He's in jail. Only reason he's in jail right now because of the new law that they're in, in bail reform. They use the the LSI scoring system to say that he was a threat. They wasn't charging him bail, so they still have the option to use the scoring system to keep you in there. Where in a sense it was better to be able to pay bail, but now. Since there is no bail, they're using the scoring system based off of his previous rest for standing up for the rights in, in, in marijuana uses and all that. That's where uh, William Fortune is right now, and he's in jail right now. Okay. I person. Now, when I had talked to him uh, years ago, I interviewed him several times. He told me that voters in New Jersey had actually approved on a ballot measure to legalize cannabis in the state of New Jersey, but Chris Christie would not implement it. Yeah, it's still on the ballot right now. They're trying to work on the only parts of it that's going on right now is they're trying to differentiate differentiate the taxation on it of the amount of tax that they're going to charge on it but it is before the house and everything and uh governor phil murphy is still waiting there's some little different things that's got to be worked out but yes that is very true they are working on it right now they're just trying to work on the amount of tax they're going to charge on it there's a dispute between the taxation on it right now but they are now, another thing that um, uh, Ed Fortune told me, though, was, see, this should have been done when Christie was governor. But he said yes, that Christie, Christie, though, the way he was saying it was kind of like something what Ty, Brother Tyson was saying. He yes, was saying, right. though, they was allowing those wealthy people with capital to, all, you know, yes. to get their stuff set up first and be first in exactly. line to be. That, a, yeah. that is very true. Let me say this. Hold on, bro. Before you go a step further, Governor Chris Christie was also on, uh, uh, as they call him, President Trump's uh, drug commission, and where they just considered all drug use a health issue in crisis and have put billions of dollars up in funding for that. Well, since Governor Christie's gone out of office, 
and I'm sure until his family stabilized in the business of, of treatment and different things, that that marijuana thing will not be approved because that is his next stage of business that he's going right now. So that is very true. And he had his motives for what he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Brother Fortune, everything that he said to you was very true, bro. I can attest to that. Mm-hmm. Now, I did miss my first station identification break. Uh, again, any other callers, please watch your background noise. You can chime in at any time. Hit star, star to unmute yourself. If you know it's going to be kind of noisy, kind of mute yourself so we can preserve the quality of the broadcast. I'm going to take a quick station identification break. And then uh, when we come back, I'll see if the panels have the panelists have anything else to say on this story. And then I'm going to jump on this other story from the root that talks about, you know, um, um, what we've been discussing in terms of the arrest, even when it's legalized. So y'all stay with me. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for podcasts and live program scheduling. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Our telephone number is 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. I am on with Brother Maxwell, Mother Khadijah, and Brother Tyson. And we're on air every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time with a broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Before I move to this other article from The Root, which came out, uh, this this uh, earlier this month it says marijuana decriminalization in Maryland has not stopped implicit bias or institutional racism against black people. Before we move on, did anybody else have some thoughts on what we heard from uh, the state's attorney, uh, uh, Miss Mosby, there in Baltimore? Okay, I, I will I will say this though. You know why that that uh, po- interim police chief said that we're going to keep making arrests because they need to justify the cops. They need to justify that job. See, violent crime has been going down for a number of years now. Okay, and you know police really don't really don't stop no crime. They respond to crime. Okay, and so these are like this is like the the uh, picking low fruit, the low hanging fruit. Uh, they want to justify their occupation because that again, drug simple drug possession makes up the bulk of their arrests. If they can no longer make these arrests, then I guess they might be looking at some layoffs. So I see them as trying to protect their their uh job security and and so you know this is just ridiculous now so this is what this article by monique judge it was published on the root.com and this is what she had to say she said although uh cannabis has been decriminalized in the state of maryland black people in baltimore are still disproportionately arrested for cannabis offenses according to analysis of baltimore police department data supplied by the federal bureau of investigation baltimore fishbowl worked with the baltimore institute Institute for Nonprofit Journalism and data researcher Andy Friedman to look at misdemeanor cannabis possession charges in the years 2015, 2016, and 2017, the first three full years 
after the criminalization took place in October of 2014. After analyzing the data, breaking it down by zip code and then by race, they found that of the total 1,448 adults and 66 juveniles Baltimore police arrested for cannabis possession, 1,450 were black. That means 96% of the people arrested for cannabis offenses over the course of three years after cannabis was decriminalized in the state of Maryland were black. Additionally, the Baltimore Police Department filed nearly 3,200 individual charges for misdemeanor marijuana possession during that same period, and most of those charges were in predominantly black parts of Baltimore. The data also showed that possession arrests among adults and juveniles rose by 15% last year, going for four, going from 471 arrests in 2016 to 544 in 2017. Blacks made up 526 of the 544 people arrested. Now, I'll leave it there. If y'all want to read more, I've linked to the article in our program notes. But you know, all the data that I have seen over the decades since I've been paying attention to this type of uh, issues is that all ethnic groups, quote unquote, racist, use cannabis at the same rates. Okay? They use it at the same rates. So why is it then that black people are the most arrested for it and most targeted for it? Again, this it just speaks to the racist nature of neo-slavery in this country. Panelists. You're right about that, Brother Reed, because, like, you know, it, I look at it like this, man. From the beginning of the time, man, everything was designed and put into a process to outcast us, you know, to them, we are not. We are not equal. We are. We. They feel as though we wasn't created equal. So, when you think, when you look at the black man versus, you know, a, a person that's not of color, you know, they feel as though we don't deserve to be amongst them or to, you know, to coexist with them because. because from the beginning of time, once, you know, drugs were introduced to America or to the world, it was designed to destroy our, destroy our hoods, to destroy our families, to destroy us. But like I said, you know, on the previous show, you know, once it made it into, you know, outside the ghetto, it became an issue. And, and the issue was because it wasn't designed for them. But, you know, certain certain things that, you know, they created was not designed for their personal use, and it was okay. See, cocaine was put in medicines back in the day. Coca-Cola, um, Father Tom, you know, it, these things was put in that type of stuff until, you know, crack, crack cocaine hit. Once that hit, you know, and it got into their communities, it became an issue. So, so like you said, Brother Reed, is everything was already target, you know what I mean, was a target. We already had a bullseye on our back. So, so when we participate in certain things, the government is, is actually always looking for a way and trying to come up the way to destroy the black community. 
And I just wanted to add with this whole case, what um, she had mentioned that if for a first-time offender with the felony of possession, with the intent to distribute, or, you know, a felony distribution, they're going to be referred to a diversion program. What is this diversion program? Is this something new? Is this something that, if it's good, if it works, could it be implemented in other programs? We just have to find out, you know, we know they already have, you know, the government has intent to do whatever they're going to do. They're going to move however they want to move. But she clearly said that she was going to stop prosecuting cases because they have no public safety value. So she's mentioning a lot of interesting topics here, um, but what is the real root to to why this change? And that's the question, and, I, and I'd like some of the callers, if it's still callers still on the phone, like, like why now? Why change now? Why stop um, taking these cases if there's no, you know, unless they have absolute proof that it was intended to distribute, I, but why all of a sudden is this happening? I would say because of people like you, people like Brother Maxwell, um, you know, I I can't think of the name of the group now, but there is an activist group in Baltimore that's also uh, been a part of this change. I forget the name of them. I've, I've interviewed them once before. This is our work. This is the masses. Oh, well, I shouldn't say the masses. It's like Brother Maxwell was talking about with Kamala Harris. Now she's changing her tune and trying to get on this progressive bandwagon because they know criminal justice reform is a big thing in this country. It's a large movement behind that. You know, Frederick Douglass said that power concedes nothing without a demand. They ain't changing this because they want to. They not stop prosecuting because they want to. Yes. Our voices, we are, are, are being heard, not just our voices, but, you know, the work that we are putting in. So I want I don't want to give any credit to, you know, what they what whatever plans they may have. They wouldn't be changing a thing if they didn't have to. They would just let it stay legal and keep locking up folks for nonviolent victimless crimes. They shouldn't it's even be crying. Behind it all, it's a bigger picture behind it all. We don't know exactly what it is. There's something we just don't know what it is. But we know whatever it is is still to oppress us and some benefit to them, not us. Now, Barack Obama caught a lot of heat before he left office because the office of the president, the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, is under the Oval Office in the executive branch of the government. Barack Obama was pressured to remove cannabis from the prohibited, you know, drug list that they keep with all these different states legalizing it and and what have you. It's still illegal federally. And he said, well, if if y'all want and and this is a man who admitted to being in the chum gang when he was in high school, meaning that he smoked a lot. He, I, I've, yeah. I've seen a video of him talking about how he smoked a lot. Did it lead him to a life of crime? Did it prevent no. him from getting into college or going to Harvard no. or, or becoming a law professor or and becoming a U.S. 
you know, uh, CEO oh, of USA don't forget, Inc. Don't forget President Clinton. The President Clinton said he took a few toasts. You remember? He only, yeah, yeah, he yeah. Only, yeah. He, he said he took a few toasts, but Obama admitted that he smoked a lot. <laughs> he smoked yeah. a lot. So then yeah, yeah. you know that there, like she said, there is no public safety behind this. Why didn't you stand up and just with the power of your pen, pen issue an executive order removing it? Now, see, I know we early on in this presidential campaign right now, but nobody's even talking about that. And we had to force that into the conversation. Any any more thoughts? I, I, just, I just look at it like this. Like, first of all, you know, <laughs> so it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, that's, that's, that's a stimulant. It causes people to calm down. So through experience of, of my past smoking marijuana, unfortunately now, but in my past, you know, it was, it was used to be able to put you on in, in a quiet state, you know, to calm you down. So, like, it, it is not like it's a, it's a drug that's, that's 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 causing people to go out there and commit crimes. You mean like, like you said, brother Reed? You, you mean know, like so that drug called no Flocka? Because it's not it's not a national security. It's not a threat. It is it, marijuana is not a threat, and there's, there's a lot of states that legalize it. So you know. Prosecuting people for marijuana, man, is is a non-valid crime. No harm. Is it, I don't, you know, I, it's like, you know, sometimes I just sit back and then, you know, and it, it just amazes me how they create all these laws to be able to trap the black man. That's all it's about. This is about entrapment, man. Everything from the beginning of time has been about entrapment. It's just another way to to keep a black man down. Keep us in chains, man. Neo-slavery. They model. They model always been keep us in chains. It's neo-slavery. But, you know, I just would say, you know, this this is good policy. This is good policy. It's a waste of money to be prosecuting people for uh, cannabis possession when they just legalized it totally in Canada. As I think Brother Tyson mentioned, this is being legalized all over the world. It's becoming big business, but yet... We still got people here in the United States being arrested, getting records and, and stuff for that. And, and then, you know, in speaking of what you was talking about, Brother Tyson, about it calming you down, it's a known treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. Absolutely. I have, I have actually I have several brothers who went through the military. I have a brother right now who was in um, the National Guards as he played rugby as well. And he he received two concussions in two separate games, and you know he's battling a lot. Like he's when I say he's going through it, and if he don't smoke no marijuana, it causes him depression. He oh he wanted to commit suicide, all types of things. So, like you said, brother Reed, it, it's it's a stimulant. It 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 helps you and and it, and it create that calmness that some of these people need. Then you have then you also have people who use it. As a medication for 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 cancer, for for pain, for things like that. So when when you have people that are not committing crimes, being charged with marijuana, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It, it's like wow. Well, you know what's the problem? What 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 
ham is a good I'm going to tell you what the problem is. Until the, until the pharmaceutical companies is interfering with their business in all these different forms of Prozac and different medications that they're putting out right now, that uh, it costs a lot to get them, is why marijuana is not really legalized and people are still being arrested because you have your big pharmaceutical companies that people still have people lobbying against it because they want to sell their medications until they can actually get their hands on the market of that right, right now but, because but, but uh, Sam, uh, uh, the Sam Food and Drug Administration the Food and Drug Administration is not going to give <clears throat> one corporation but so many licenses to do a lot of different things so these big pharmaceutical companies is going to continue to fight against right. that. That's what you have to tell because they have all forms of different treatment for depressive, post-traumatic stress syndrome, all these different pill form medications where marijuana actually overrides all of them is one of the best solutions to all those things right there. They don't want that out there. Right. That's but you that, know what, Brother yeah. Maxwell? See, yeah. the, thing I, the problem I have with these pharmaceutical companies, they're making these pills is... is, is is hooking and addicting people. Like I didn't, I didn't witness right. family, a You're family right. member of mine went through a a, a a great great deal of pain behind pain yes. pills. You know, my mom. You're exactly right. No, I personally have. I personally have as well. I became a, addicted. I've been addicted right. to Percocet and all them. As a result, I, I have. And that would bring you down. That would break you down. I I didn't yeah. witness people in my family not able to eat because they done ran out their medication. You know, exactly. can't have a bowel movement. You know what I'm saying? I was on purpose set for a knee injury. Bruh, and I didn't bruh. like it because the simple fact, it it, it, it tears your body up. It wears your body down. You, you can't use the bathroom. It sends you actually spasms and all that thing. I was, uh, yeah. I was in a car accident in two thir- 2013, bro. I have six herniated discs. After surviving 33 years of prison, I came out here only for a car to hit us from behind. I have six herniated dicks. I have a herniated in my neck. I have all these different things. I got on Percocet. Now, you're going to take them for two reasons. You're going to take them to avoid pain or gain pleasure. You want to avoid the pain of the withdrawal sentence, and you want to gain the pleasure of not going through that withdrawal sentence. You know? So I, I, I've been through all that. Also, but again, that the, the debate with the marijuana and different things, there's a big battle and dispute between pharmaceuticals and the people. And so, since so many people that are non-pharmaceutical are getting into the, for medicinal purposes, to get into the marijuana business, the pharmaceutical companies are challenged because they think their medications are best and they want to continue selling them. They got a monopoly. So they have lobbyists. They have monopoly and they have lobbyists that's going to continue most of your bills that are sponsored in Congress or before the legislators are brought on by corporations. They send lobbyists in there to sponsor a particular bill. I'm going to give you an example. You have a new device that's coming out in the phone. People should not drive and even talk on any type of headset or any form of uh, communication when they're driving. So you're going to have another company that comes out with another device, and uh, uh, government's going to pass a law that all people are drivers, must have a particular form of communication device in order to be in their cars and drive. They have lobbyists. They have people that go out and fight for this. They're going to sponsor bills. Corporations are the ones that sponsor certain bills. 
just want to cover the mask. And when they cover the mask, they're going to cover all of it, and that means their income is going to come in. So it has all to do with money. Right, right. Let, let me give y'all different. some history. Um, the history of how it even became illegal in the first place. Well, after alcohol prohibition, you know, you, Elliot Ness and Untouchables and Al Capone yeah. and all of that. Well, yeah. you know, uh, after prohibition ended, you had all of these agents who would have been out of a job. So they start, okay, exactly. let's target people who use cannabis. And then yeah. also the corporate side of it was, y'all may have heard of, maybe not, William J. Hurst. He owned... Uh, with, uh, the, the, he owned all these newspapers. Right, right. Patty Hurst was his every, daughter. Every, all, all your print, all your print, all your print. All your paper newspapers. Hurst well, he also... That, started, that actually started in London. William J. Hurst, yeah. Yeah, he had a bunch of uh, uh, property for trees for making paper out of. Well, you know, there's a whole cannabis family. It's not just Mm -hmm. the marijuana that you smoke, but you can make all kind of products from from cannabis, from hemp. And paper is one of those. They just legalized hemp again. Exactly. He is the one who got it, who also pushed to get it outlawed because he didn't want no competition to his paper mill business. Yeah. So, well, yeah. It's much deeper, bro. It's so deep, man. It's it deep, is. Man. It's deeper than deep, bro. It it's is. It's deeper than deep, man. Now, I don't I don't have anything else um, on, the, on the table for tonight. Is there yeah. anything else? Um, that the panelists would like to bring up any announcements, any upcoming events that y'all like to make the listeners aware. Bruh, I'm going to just say this. Again, this is Maxwell Melvin's, and I'm going to say it's very important to me, and I'm going to bring this up again. As I said, Governor Phil Murphy is in support of the bills to restore all voting rights to all ex-offenders and all offenders on parole or whether on probation in the state of New Jersey. And that means that is a major thing for all of us ex-offenders in the state of New Jersey. It's taking place all over the country, state by state, one at a time, but it's a very beautiful thing, bro. Because again, there's always power in numbers. Right. I like to say, you know, I thank both of you guys, man. Y'all, y'all great inspiration to me, man. And you know, continue doing what y'all do, man. Continue being a voice and, and, and being a peacemaker for the community. I like to say that we have actually have a health and awareness expo coming up on February second, which is Saturday, um, which is a, it's going to be a mini fashion show as well. Uh, mm. I also like to, uh, you know, thank Power Block. BMO and yeah, um, going to be performing live at the Health Awareness Expo. Um, Kevin, he hold on, hold on. Of, did you say? Hold up. Did you say, brother BMO's going to be performing live there? You say? Yes, he's going to be performing live. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, at Health Awareness Expo. I like to thank brother Kevin. He's got he got a lot of events coming up, and all uh, he's doing some powerful things with the Connected as well. And, um, you know, these are my brothers, man. These are brothers who opened up the door and helped me and, and you know, still training me to, to be a better a better person 
And uh, you know, I like to thank them, man, as well. Where is you know, the expo just, going to be, brother Tyson? To, to 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 you know, to gravitate towards this and 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 to be a voice as well. You know, you know, help your loved ones and family members that are incarcerated. You know, be a voice. The voice is what we need in the community. We need people to stand up and 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 fight for our rights because we have rights as 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 black people. We have rights. So if we don't yes, speak, exactly. so we're exactly. not going to be heard. So I encourage everybody out there yes. who is a woman of color and as well as a black male to to voice your opinions. Don't be afraid to voice your opinions because a closed mouth doesn't get heard. So, exactly. you know, brothers and sisters, I love y'all, man. Children, I love y'all. You know, y'all the future. Yeah. And brother, and I just, I just, brother, oh, go ahead, sister Khadija, go ahead, go ahead, Khadija, I just wanted to say something briefly, brother Scott, Scotty Reed, thank you for allowing us to have a platform so these our concerns and issues can be addressed and get the community and voices involved, those that are locked down, so that we can address these these laws that um, need to be changed and abolished. A lot of them need yeah. to be abolished. I just wanted to personally thank you. Block Talk Radio um, and the new yeah. abolitionist radio. If it wasn't for this yeah. platform, we really couldn't have the time to, you know, express the importance of having a media platform like this. And we encourage everyone, yeah. please write to state representatives. You have to yeah. be. You have to take action. It's time yeah. for us to come together, learn your laws, learn. Learn your. If you don't know your laws, you're not yeah. going to know if laws are being um, need, or need to be abolished or not. You don't know if people are abusing laws. So what's being implemented or anything? Right. So yeah. we want to make sure you know the laws, especially if you're living in the country that abides by the Constitution. We want to make sure yeah. that we understand what our rights are, what resources are out here. Um, which is what he was saying, we have a health and wellness expo. So yeah. those that are coming out of the system that don't have hygiene items and, 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 you know, not used to going to medical treatment because you can't, because you don't have insurance. So come on out and get your blood pressure checked, diabetes. Mm, absolutely. We want everyone to know we're here. You've got to tap into your resources and know where a lot of the free resources are. And I personally, yeah. Scotty Reed, I just wanted to personally thank you because you really are more than just an advocate. You're an activist, too, and I just wanted you, that to be recognized, that without yes, this platform, Business Street Talk Ministries wouldn't be able to have a, a session like this every week. So God bless you for allowing us to be on this platform. And uh, this is Brother Maxwell. I'd just like to say the same. I'm going to reiterate what Sister Khadija said. I think Power Block Radio also is being a platform for me to connect it, connect the magazine, all those things, and Brother Scotty T. Reed with the Abolitionist Radio on Black Talk Radio providing me and allowing me, you know, to come in and to express my views and different things. And uh, Brother Faison of Prison Street Talk Ministries and everybody and to all you listeners out there. And I'd just like to say one of the reasons that the Abolitionists allow Brother Maxwell to come on, if y'all want to see the work that I've done or the work that I do, you can hit me up on Melvin's 782 Gmail. You can be up on Mac Melvin's Facebook or Twitter. Go to YouTube and look at in our videos. The people that you have before you sharing their information and stuff, we put in that work. We're not just 
people up here that just talking, don't know what we talking about. We talking facts. And again, I like to thank you, uh, Brother Reed and uh, Abolitions Radio, Black Talk Radio, for allowing me this opportunity to come up and express and share my information and to the listeners out there. And we look forward to hearing from y'all. We be on every Wednesday. Please listen to us. Come on, don't be afraid to call in. No question is a stupid question. Don't be afraid to ask us questions. Don't be afraid to call in. Call in to us every Wednesday night. We hear every Wednesday. We look forward to hearing from you listeners out there. Mm-hmm. So let's turn it up out there. Let's make this move into move. Abolitionists. Well, I, I just want to thank you all for answering the call to come on New Abolitionist Radio and and to speak to the people from experience. You know, that's very important when someone can speak from experience on these they issues. They say the the closest people, the people, the closest people to the solution is the people with the problems has the answers to the solutions or the people close to the problems. And I would That's like to say. point out the main problem is that slavery was never abolished. They lied to us all throughout grade school and high school and even college. Yes, they have. If you read the 13th Amendment, you will see there's a big old exception clause that allows for involuntary servitude and slavery if they convict yes, you does. of a crime. Doesn't mean that you're guilty of the crime. No, you know, whether you're guilty or innocent, that's slavery. Once you get convicted, yes. it's in the 13th Amendment and we need to repeal yes the 13th Amendment and replace it with an amendment that actually abolishes slavery and makes it illegal and not the law of the land. With that... And and Brother brother Scotty uh, T. Reed, we're going to send a... I I like the person who sent out a shot again to the state of Colorado for abolishing that and depleting that from their constitution. From their state constitution of, of any person convicted of a crime or whatever will serve a servitude of eliminating that from their state constitution to the state of Colorado. Yeah, shout out shout out to those. We're going to have to get them on because, you know, why exactly. we want to push for a change to the U.S. Constitution, our approach yeah. on abolitionist new in the new abolitionist movement is that we can't sit around and if we have to go state by state and make something like that exactly. happen, then we need to do it. You know, death by exactly. a thousand paper cuts. And it can be done, bro. It can be done. It's work, but we can do it. We can do it. We got to get them on one at a time, but uh, Scotty, we gonna get them on. We gonna get them on. Trust me. I'd like to shout out Jazz Underground, the National. I'd like exactly. to um, give thanks to um, you know, the organization of Saving Children, Saving Lives. Um, you know, all the brothers in Baton Rouge, Boosie, man, who's who, who going through the struggle, who's who's fighting the system and standing up being a voice for the people in Baton Rouge. And, you know, Killer E, my brother Free Him. My little brother Eric, man, I love y'all brothers, man. All you brothers and sisters who are incarcerated, man, I love y'all, man. We here for y'all, and y'all exactly. continue to fight, continue to make it through this, continue to endure whatever they bring at you, man. Just know that they can't take your mind. They can beat the flesh, exactly. but they can't exactly. beat your mind unless you let them. Salute to all y'all, all my comrades. I love y'all, man. And I'm going to send a shout-out to women who never give up in New Jersey and the 2A lifers. School of Hard Knocks in New Jersey of the Lifers. 
who never give up and women who never give up. I'd like to send a shout out to all y'all and thank everybody out there, everybody that's involved in the movement right now to end this mass incarceration and slavery that they've held us under for so many years and so many years. Everybody that's fighting to make it right, to take our wrongs and make them to a right as humanly possible. I'd like to send a shout out to all y'all. And yes, Jazz Underground, absolutely. And Brother Fury Anderson, who's a part of this team and all of us. And again, to the Abolitionist Radio and Black Talk. All right. Brother Scotty T. Reed. Peace, my brothers. Peace, peace. And I'm going to close it out with a profile of a past abolitionist. I did not find a recent exoneree uh, for this week, um, but I, w- I, I will focus on or profile this past abolitionist. And, you know, I, I, I did, did have to say um, thank you to all our listeners throughout the years and those who send in a donation to make this platform uh, possible because I I couldn't I can't fund this stuff on my own I I need help and and I just want to thank those who answer the call so our abolitionist in profile is Benjamin Lay who was born in 1682 um and in transition on set in 1759 February the 8th 1759. Benjamin Lay was an Anglo-American Quaker, humanitarian, and abolitionist. He is best known for his early and strident anti-slavery activities, which would culminate in dramatic protests. He was also an author, farmer, and early vegetarian. Um, Born in England into a farming family, his early trade was as a shepherd and glove maker. After becoming a Quaker, he worked as a sailor. And in 1718, moved to Barbados, where he witnessed the poor treatment of African victims of slavery that instilled in him his lifelong abolitionist principles. Lay later, later settled in Philadelphia and was made and was made unpopular among his fellow Quakers by his strident anti-slavery stance, which would often culminate in acts of public protest. He published several pamphlets on social causes during his lifetime in one book. All slave keepers that keep the innocent in bondage, in bondage apostates. Lay was also distinguished by his early concern for the moral treatment of animals and was an early um, a vegetarian. He first began advocating for the abolition of slavery when in Barbados he saw an enslaved man commit suicide rather than be hit again by his owner. His passionate uh, enmity of slavery was partially fueled by his Quaker beliefs. Lay made several dramatic demonstrations against the practice. He once stood outside a Quaker meeting in winter with no coat and at least one foot bare and in the snow. When a passerby expressed concern for his health, he said that victims of slavery were made to work outdoors in winter dressed as he was. On another occasion, he kidnapped a child of slaveholders temporarily to show them how Africans felt when their relatives were sold overseas. The most notable act occurred in Burlington, New Jersey at the 1738 Philadelphia Yearly Meeting of Quakers. 
dressed as a soldier, he concluded a diatribe against slavery, quoting the Bible saying that all men should be equal under God. By plunging a sword into a Bible containing a bladder of blood red pokeberry juice, which spattered over those nearby. Benjamin Lay died in Abington, Pennsylvania in 1759. His legacy continued to inspire the abolitionist movement for generations throughout the early and mid-19th century. And New Abolitionist Radio salutes Benjamin Lay, an abolitionist. Peace and blessings to all. Make sure y'all join us next week. Land of the free, it lies the home of the homeless. Too many die every day, and we really just want this freedom. 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 That's what.